Hello, and welcome to the Text in Us podcast. I'm your host, George Fricks, and I'm here with my co-host, L. Grover Fricks, to resume our discussions in Exodus chapter 23. That's right. The subheading on one of my Bibles says justice and mercy. Let's see what we've got here inside this uh, inside this chapter. So, scroll of Shemoth, chapter 23. This is the word of the Lord. You shall not lift something you heard of emptiness. Do not set your hand with the tumultuous to be a witness of violence. Do not follow a great many to do evil. You will not answer in a dispute to stretch out after many to cause stretching out. A dangling man you will not swell up in his dispute. If you encounter an ox of your enemy or his donkey wandering, returning, you will return him to him. If you see a donkey of the one who hates you lying under that which it carries, if you cease from helping him, helping you will help him with it. You will not cause the judgment of the needy to be stretched out in his dispute. Distance yourself from a false word. Do not kill the pure and the just, for I will not make the tumultuous just. Do not take a gift, for a gift blinds the open one and slickens the words of the just. You will not oppress a resident. You know the soul of the resident, for you were residents in the land of Mitzrayim. Six years you shall sow your land. You will gather that which comes to her. The seventh year, release her. Cut her free like the hide from an animal. The needy of your people will eat. The living beings of the field will eat what remains. You shall do so for your vineyard and for your olive grove. Six days you shall do your doings. On the seventh day you will be still, that your oxen and your donkey will rest. The son of your female slave and the resident will take breath for their souls. And all that I have said to you, guard it. Do not remember the name of other gods. Do not let them be heard from upon your mouth. Three times walking in the year, you will celebrate and dance to me, the dancing celebration of the sweet matzah. You will guard. Seven days you will eat sweet matzah as I commanded you for the appointed time of the month of the fresh and green. For in it you came from Mitzrayim. None shall be seen before my face empty. The dancing celebration of the harvest of the chosen of your doings, which you have sown in the field. The dancing celebration of the gathering in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your deeds from the field. Three times in the year, all your males will be seen before the face of the Lord Yahweh. You will not slaughter upon sour bread the blood of my slaughter, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice lodge until morning. You will bring the first of the chosen of the dirt into the house of Yahweh your God. You will not boil a young goat in the milk of his mother. Look here, I am sending an angel before your face to guard you in the way, to bring you to the place which I have prepared. Be guarded from his face, heed in his voice, do not be bitter within him, for he will not lift your revolt, for my name is within him. But if heeding, you will heed in his voice and do all that I will speak. I will be an enemy to your enemies and confine those who confine you. For my angel will walk before your face. He will bring you to the Amori and the Chiti and the Prezi and the Kanaani and the Chiti and the Yuvusi. I will disown them. 
You will not bow yourself to their gods, nor shall they be served, nor do like their deeds. For pulling, you will pull down. Breaking, you will break their stationed stones. You will serve Yahweh your God. He will kneel and bless your bread and your water. I will turn away sickness from your midst. None shall lose their children or be rooted up and fertile in your land. The number of your days I will fill. I will send my fear before your face. I will cause a hubbub in all the people with whom you arrive. I will give the back of the neck of all your enemies to you. I will send leprosy before your face. I will drive out the chiti, the kana'ani, the chiti from before your face. I will not drive out from before your face in one year, lest the land be stunned. The living beings of the field become great over you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you. Until you have borne fruit and inherited the land, I will set your boundaries from the sea of reeds to the sea of the refugees, from the desert to the river. I will give into your hand the inhabitants of the land. I will drive them out from before you. You will cut no banquet agreement for them or for their gods. They will not dwell in your land, lest they make you miss the mark to me. For if you serve their gods, surely it will be a noose to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whew, there's a bunch in there. I am intrigued. It's been a while since I translated this, and so I'm like, mm, good stuff. Exciting. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to get into it as well. I've divided this into two sections. We have part one, which is a bigger portion, verses 1 through 19. Part two is 20 through 33. So let's dive right in. Okay. Verse one, you shall not lift something you heard of emptiness. Do Mm -hmm. not set your hand with the tumultuous to be a witness of violence. Um, We've used this phrase emptiness before. Mm -hmm. Um. The one thing that I thought was interesting is the use of tumultuous Yep. Um, in the second half of this verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, NRSV and NJB say wicked. Yep. And Robert Alter says guilty. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I can kind of see like the context of what we're talking about here, you know, those different options. Um, but I wanted to, you know, kind of hear from you this uh, idea of tumultuous to be a witness of violence. Yeah. So I'm pulling from the etymology of the word. Like when I think of wicked, I'm thinking of these like camps from the book of Proverbs that I grew up with. Um, you from the twinkle in your eye look like you're thinking of the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> I am. (laughs) That's marriage. I was was singing the song in my head from Wicked. So excellent. Um, And to me, guilty has to do with um, maybe I'm wrong there, but it feels like there's a payment involved. There's a um, punishment. There's a court drama happening. The word resh'ah is onomatopoeic, as so much of Hebrew is, for like the sound of something crashing. Okay. It's falling down. Um, And so something is being broken. And to me, it's important to have that as a contrast against shalom, right? Wholeness, tamim, um, being together, right? It's the opposite of that. Away from wholeness, away from flourishing, away Mm. from togetherness, we have brokenness and tumultuous people. (laughs) don't just break stuff 
right? It's it's not like they lie in wait necessarily. That's a different camp. They're not lying in wait and then coming up and breaking something and running away. Just from who they are, they're wandering around, waving their arms, causing a stir, tipping stuff over, making people upset. You know, um, yeah. that's their jam. Yeah, I'd be curious, you know, kind of zooming out uh, and looking at more holistically scripture. Uh-huh. You know, um, the concept of guilty uh, comes up in different, uh, uh, you know, theological conversations around, um, uh, especially New Testament, right? Mm. Um, And there is an Old Testament word for guilty, so I'd be interested to look at Alter and see what he does in those spots. Right, right. Because it's a different word. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, because, um, you know, uh, uh, Jesus takes away our guilt, so is that kind of the same Mm. as the tumultuousness here, Mm. or is it... Um, in our legal world, it's like, the oh, guilty, right? Yeah. My my criminal record has been scrubbed, or he's taken away the part of my nature that is just flailing, yeah, breaking stuff, causing chaos. I like that. I'd be curious to know. Yeah, it's you know, it's one of those things that's tricky because you you would be going off of like, here's the Greek, right. here's how the Septuagint applies the Greek backwards into the Hebrew text. But you still have to kind of do some comparative work, right? Even then, to see like, do I agree with how they've done that, right? In the Greek right, because that's a that's a later process for sure. That's overlaid over top of the Hebrew scripture, right? So Which, just a friendly reminder, a bunch of our translations are taken from the Septuagint, right. not from the actual Hebrew text. Right. And the Septuagint so we're getting is a, not inspired. We're getting a translation of, of a translation, right? Right. Um, so. Uh, back to the actual text, verse one as well. Um, the usual interpretive translation is you shall not circulate a false report, right? which I think is a valid interpretation. It's just an interpretation though, because it's as low, which means no, not, do not. <laughs> and then, uh, tisha, which is our word for lift or forgive, by the way, bing, bing. If you remember from our Yosef story, we had that interplay between lifting the burdens and lifting these giant jars that the Mm -hmm. um, brothers were bringing with them and Yosef forgiving them. Um, So do not lift or forgive Shem'ah, so something that you've heard, and then of emptiness, of vanity. This is our vanity, vanity, all is vanity from Ecclesiastes, Mm -hmm. Kohelet. Um, And how much is our culture just like founded on circulating empty things that we've heard right yeah it's not necessarily false it's not necessarily lies it's just like ooh, did you hear blah 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 that's like all of social media in a nutshell right it is it is one of the larger structures of the interconnectedness of social media that you can circulate something very quickly and it's hard to uh, judge some something's authenticity, right? You know, increasingly AI, yeah. the whole the whole biz. And so just the the amount of things we're bombarded with. So yeah. But also just like in friendships and everyday conversations, yeah. how much are we lifting? How much are we bringing up out of the muck that doesn't need to be brought up? Right. Okay. Um, do not follow a great many to do evil. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no space here in the text to be like, well, everybody else was doing it. 
<laughs> right? That's the great many part. It says a crowd in some translations, right? Don't follow a crowd to do evil. Yeah. No escape hatch there. Um, yeah. The other thing I think it's interesting about verse two here is um, that it's that it's to do evil specifically. Do not follow a great many to do evil. It's not. Right. It's not the word for sin. Right. Right. Um, some of the translations, NRSV and NJB, are going to say wrongdoing, hmm. which uh, to me leans more towards the sin camp than the evil camp. Sure. Um, and so I think there's some interesting distinction that's happening there. I mean, it's definitely nuanced in my mind, at least the, the um, you know, sub- subjectiveness that I'm I'm laying onto one word over the other. Sure. Um, but it's evil to me tree. has the tree of the knowledge of good yeah this is ah. right so interesting um you will not answer in a dispute to stretch out after many to cause stretching out that's a confusing one that's a confusing one we're gonna see i mean uh three different versions here in the translations nrsv you shall not side with the majority so as to pervert justice i mean folks are doing their best to figure out what this means so let's Less judgment than usual. Yeah, Robert Alter uses askew. Askew. To go askew. Um, NJB says um, to pervert the course of justice. Okay. So, so this perversion, is... askew. This is the word netha, which is the word um, that Moshe uses, um, or is used about Moshe continually whenever he's lifting up his staff, um, stretching his hand out over the waters to do some miracle or plague. Okay depending on your framing. Um, so we've used it over and over to be stretching out, stretching out, stretching out. Right. Um, so what does that actually mean, right? So I'm trying to keep in the lane of the way we've been using it and what we're used to, how we're used to seeing it in case there's a connection between those stories, right? I want right. to leave the field ready to be worked upon by people who want to do something really cool with that. Um, what I think it's saying is do not answer, um, and not answer uh, in a dispute. Um, that's our word that we've seen um, way back in in Yitzchak's story with the wells. He was mm, naming them like right. dispute. So don't answer in a dispute, even if you just cut it off there. Pretty good life advice, right? People are trying to get into a spiteful incident, like no need to even answer right it's not like right don't throw the first punch it's like you don't need to respond okay to stretch out after many to cause stretching out so people are trying to accomplish something they're trying to bring a plague like moshe they're trying to bring a miracle like moshe but if the way that they're going about doing that is causing a dispute um Torah here says don't answer. Now, is there room to cause good trouble? You might say, John Lewis, right? <laughs> Can we be a little drop of chaos? Um, like Miriam's name is, well, that's a great wrestling match to have. Um, but want to be able to lay out what the text says and then come alongside it and have yeah. those conversations once we know what it says. I'm just, you know, I just find it fascinating that we would so... in. Uh, we would insert into the text the words like justice, right? right. Pervert justice. It doesn't say pervert and it doesn't say justice right. anywhere. 
right. uh, in verse 2. And yet somehow, you know, we, we are trying to, you know, and like you said, they're trying to make sense of it. But in doing so, they have altered what Scripture has actually said. Right. Or um, just like taken a certain cast of it and said that that interpretation is the interpretation. Right. Which... Yeah, regardless of whether or not, you know, I would agree with that. Right. I mean, should you testify in a way that perverts justice? I hope not, you know, but that's kind of lowering the bar of what Torah is asking us um, of us in this section. Okay. Verse three. A dangling man. You will not swell up in his dispute. Yeah. Tell me about um, dangling men. Yes. (laughs) The cliffhanger. Right. There's a lot of um bummer ways to translate that like if you look at the um, i don't know it's strongs or whatever it's gonna say like weak or poor right Um, everybody went with poor in this verse i mean i think that's fair but the image behind the word i think is more compelling and while it includes poor people i think it captures it in a more visceral way potentially can capture um it's not just that this person doesn't have resources or it you know, whether that's physical power or financial power or whatever, it's that he's hanging by a thread. Right. Grasping onto the tail end of the community. Right. Uh, and then this word that uh, the KJV takes is countenance, which is funny. Thou shalt not countenance a poor man in his cause, which maybe I'm a bad reader of the KJV here, but that sounds like we should ignore like what poor people want. Mm. <laughs> interesting uh which isn't super helpful but that word is hadar which means to be like swollen up with favor um to uh it's used for adornment sometimes we use glorify there even though in my opinion we shouldn't be doing that um it's to be like a a big person it's really good in uh, ancient near eastern culture right it means you have resources you have luxury and so not taking someone who's barely hanging on by a thread and um, swelling them up in their dispute i think there's still lots of ways to take that you know does does that mean making his dispute longer Um, does that mean telling him oh yeah everything's gonna go totally fine when he's actually hanging by a thread rashi is going to go with the the interpretation that this is about taking advantage of someone's situation in order to, uh, in a sense, gain their favor. Okay. Right. So oh, yeah. you're going to become chummy friends with this person. Who's in desperate puff need. Puff them up. They're desperate. You're going to make them feel good about stuff because now... Uh, you know, in a, in a way they kind of, they owe you right there. You are the source of that puffed upness, so to speak. So, um, that's how, that's how they're going to take this. Uh, At least Rashi, right. Is going to interpret this, uh, in a kind of manipulative way. Yeah, I think that's a great take. And it speaks to the reason why you might do it, right? Why would you adorn somebody who's hanging on by a thread? Yeah. Because you're trying to scooch in and be the, like, favored false prophet. Okay. If you encounter an ox of your enemy or his donkey wandering, I always love making space for the donkeys, returning, you will return him to him. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying under that which it carries, if you cease from helping him, helping you will help him with it. I love this because uh, 
you know, there it's like no room to be like, you know, if you've kept walking, turn back, you know, it's like, no, you are helping him. Mm -hmm. And if you think about ceasing from helping too bad, you're helping. Yeah. There's framework is just, I mean, there's, there is, there is still some wiggle room that they work in. Um, and you know, it's, it's more like, you know, if you're a super old and frail person, mm-hmm. okay. You know, you get somewhat of a free pass on this one. Okay, yeah, according to one's ability. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so. But this is like Jesus all the way down. Right? It is, yeah. About uh, that was their conversation. Well, okay, so we're saying if you don't have that ability, then what? Um, and then the next thing is, well, what if it's on Shabbat? And Jesus says, Yeah, follow Torah. Right. Which yeah, it doesn't mention if it's on Shabbat or not. It right. just says you do it. You do it, which There's I no love less. because so often Jesus is p- portrayed as like chucking Torah out the window and being like, that old thing, we right. don't need to wash our hands. <laughs> Rather, nobody told the children about that uh, passage in the Bible versus, um, yeah, versus saying, no, this is what Exodus says, so we should probably do it. Right. Um, yeah. So continuing in verse six here, you will not cause the judgment of the needy to be stretched out in his dispute here again. Um, uh, I thought it was interesting. We get back the, you shall not pervert the justice language. Yep. Um, and which by the way, would just be so funny if we used that translation, like if we made them be consistent and then you take it back to Torah, then Moshe perverted the staff right. over the water. <laughs> yeah. I just find it interesting that you would use that that phrase twice in two different sections uh, where neither of them are using the same words mm-hmm. or saying the same things, but you've still chosen to apply that. So um, that was just an interesting note. Uh, was, uh, NRSV. Uh, NJB says, you will not cheat the poor among you of their rights at law. Which, um, you know, different interpretation. I, I can see those words here um, sure. a little bit more clearly. Robert Alter says, you shall not skew. So he uses the skew word again. The okay. case of your indigent. Oh. And I've never heard that word before. I have. In his dispute. Um, so getting a little bit more technical uh, there, it seems. Um, uh-huh. I wonder what his problem with the word poor is. Um, I don't know. Maybe he feels like it's too too loose of a term. Right. Maybe there's multiple ways to take the word poor. And so he's trying to say specifically um, poverty, specifically a financial stuff. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, So the words here is the lo... um, and then the neta again, so the stretch out word, which, mm-hmm. by the way, the image behind that um, going past Moshe is stretching out your tent. Like when you're oh yeah, you're pulling your tent out of your bag in our modern day, right? And you have to roll it out on the ground. Right. And stretch it over the poles and right. tie it down. Right. That's neta. So again, like I was trying to be more charitable and think, okay, how could pervert be in there? I don't know how you can pervert your tent either. So... Um, maybe I'm missing something. As always, it's a possibility. Um, but here we have a word that, uh, in my opinion, probably does mean poor. Um, uh, interestingly, it's really close to the word for father. 
Okay. Um, like it's almost spelled the same way. Um, but then it also has this undertone of willingness and consent. So it has a, like a, that's what they say when they're talking to Rivka and they're like, well, we don't know whether the woman will be willing to go and Mm. marry this random guy, which we love. Um, so it's a really interesting word. It's got a bunch of stuff tied into it. Um, breathing after something, desiring something is how you get from like willing something and consenting to something. Then you go to desire and then you get to having lots of desires. So it's having needs okay. in a physical way. Um, so uh, that's why that's there. Um, indigent. <laughs> I'm not totally familiar with the reasons that he might have pulled that one, but... Um, so do not stretch out like a tent, right? The judgment, the mishpat of your, I think that's a really interesting suffix that's put on there. Your poor, your needy, hmm. right? There, there's this locality of the community that again, we can get lost in when we're talking about global suffering and trying to figure sure. out things. And because the world we live in where we can offer help to people across the world, um, that's awesome. And it's probably good to do, but I do think it's interesting that the Torah doesn't often put little fences around stuff, but here there is one, you're poor in his dispute. Right. And I think there's something to that conversation about, um, you're needy. Yeah. That's what I want with needy is better than poor. Go me. Okay. Right. Yeah. It's, it can be easy to ignore the suffering of people in your community uh, when it's juxtaposed to the larger suffering of the world. Right. <laughs> and Which is incredible and we see images of, but it's also a little bit easier sometimes to feel empathy for the people across the planet yeah. um, in some famine or whatever because we don't know them. Yeah. And sometimes when you know the person, you know your neighbor, and you're like, yeah, he needs help, but he really shouldn't have made all these mistakes. <laughs> and so we talk ourselves out of care um, versus we don't know the story of the person on the right. other side of the planet. We just see the photos and we're like, oh, no. Um, so in some ways, it's harder to love the needy in your community because you right. drive past them every day. And yet the verse isn't, you know, love your neighbor only if he deserves it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, verse 7. Verse 7. Uh, distance yourself from a false word. So this one actually does mean false, unlike before when right. we had emptiness, right? Yeah. So a false word, do not kill the pure and the just, um, for I will make the tumultuous, or I will not make. Okay, wait, I want to go back and cut that. Sorry. Okay, I love the, uh, again, like just don't get involved, right? Don't lift up something you heard. There's Sometimes I think we're tempted to be like, I need to get to the bottom of this because this sounds like it might not be true or whatever. And instead, Doris, you're like, nope. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to lift it up. You don't need to, like, say, I heard so-and-so talking about this. Um, You can just distance yourself from it. You don't need to figure out whether it's true or not. You can just um, worry about taking care of the needy, right? Um, The next thing, we have a little bit of a pivot, it feels to me, but still within this realm of justice and um, how the legal system and disputes should work. Do not kill the pure and the just feels like a solid, solid move. <laughs> right. Uh, Robert Alter is going to say guiltless and innocent. Okay. 
which is interesting. Um, guiltless and innocent? Guiltless wow. and innocent. Fascinating. The second word is tzaddik. Tzaddik. It's our word for justice, right? Yeah. <laughs> so going with innocent for justice is very interesting. Um, it the, is interesting. The first one is naki, which has a clean thing. Um, you can go with clean. You can go with innocent for that one. I think the underlying image is the pureness of a... Um, of a gem and mm. so that's why i went with pure i'm curious because you know he used guilty in verse one uh do not set your hand with uh, you have tumultuous to be a witness for violence and he went with the guilty um and here do not kill the kill the pure and the just and he went with guiltless and innocent um and then for i will not m- acquit the guilty uh, at the end of verse seven, so we have this word pure and this word tumultuous, both of which he goes with that guilty, guiltless association. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, right. he's playing in that. Maybe that's because that's a context. Uh, yeah, he can start his own podcast, and we can have a uh, <laughs> discussion. He's eighty-eight years old, so he probably has other things to do. But uh, very interesting. Um, For I will not make the tumultuous just. So God's saying if in this verse, right, not necessarily throughout the whole course of Tanakh. Yeah. But if you're wandering around, whacking things, yelling, causing disputes everywhere you go, breaking stuff, disrupting shalom, you're not going to be declared just. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, Do not take a gift. I struggled with this word. Um, there's a different word for a donation and a different word for a reward and a different word for a wage. People were using bribe. I mean, I think that that's what it means. I think that's the context because saying no to all gifts right. would be a like... Right, a bribe is a gift. Right, right. That's what a bribe is. The difference in English is a bribe is an illegal gift. That's the definition, right. right? And so I think that's what it's talking about, right? Because we have don't murder your witnesses you're innocent people right um we're talking about disputes so right so if you were going to contextualize the word right in the verse assuming the you know legal right framework nature yeah um which again when we say legal framework we're imagining like a courtroom with a person in a wig uh, yes and in fact if you go and you read through and in fact, if you go and you read through the uh, the writings, they often talk about these passages in that context of oh, word law. Oh, that's funny. Quite a lot. Interesting. Uh, but for many communities in Torah, right, throughout the history of the people of God in the land, that meant like you're in the gates talking to your local shofet, right? Hmm. There might be a room in the gates, but it's not like gavels and giant black ropes. Okay, that's a side thing. We're back to canceling Christmas, right? <laughs> Take no gifts for right. a gift blinds the open one and slickens the word of the just. Uh, if this has a very tangible um news related take uh in 2023 anyway um and i think this verse just speaks to the fact that we are way more malleable than we think we are right (laughs) like 
I can take this gift and still do the right thing. Yes. It is um, easy to, in the moment, justify things. Yeah. Because yep. who doesn't want stuff, right? Gifts are great. Okay. Right. Or, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. But, and I kind of like leaving a gift because if we hear bribe, we expect it to come in the form of an envelope being slid across the table, right? That got pulled out of a briefcase with a person wearing leather gloves for some reason and being like, hey, if you take this, right? Right. Rather than the way it can look of pressure if you're in ministry of who's tithing and who's not tithing and how does that change what you're willing to say and what you're willing to preach on, right? that feels more like gift conversation and we would never call it bribe because it's tithes. But right. the point is don't take things, don't take a gift um, thinking that it won't blind you or slick in uh, what's happening. And please, please still tithe. That's not the takeaway. <laughs> That's not the takeaway from the, from the verse. Okay. Next. Moving quickly on to verse nine. Um, you will not oppress a resident. You know the soul of the resident, for you were residents in the land of Mitzrayim. Um, we often see, you know, some form here of alien or sojourner um, in place of, of resident. Right. Um, so it just kind of has that. It's, you know, the, the person living in your midst who is right. not necessarily... From there. From there. Um so, uh, you know, not a lot that I have to say here. It's pretty straightforward. I, you know, it's that tie back to the time spent in Egypt, right? Yeah. Which to them just happened. So Right. <laughs> Should have been ding, 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 pinging in their brains. Uh, right. I love the line, you know, the soul of the resident, um, which implies contextually, right, that to know someone... Um, is tied, knowing their soul anyway, is tied to knowing their oppression and empathy, mm, mm-hmm. right? And if we don't have empathy um, or we're not able to ask questions that generate empathy, right? If we haven't had that experience, then we're not knowing that person's soul. We're just standing back and yeah. making proclamations. Okay, then we have a pivot uh, for the land, which I love. God puts right next to residents, right? Immigrants, people who aren't um, of the land. It pivots to also don't oppress the actual land, right? Uh, Those things are related to God, and uh, God cares about the way that we treat the land. So six years you shall sow your land. You'll gather that which comes to her the seventh year. Release her. Very prison-y language, right? It is. Yeah, that's fascinating. Very personalized, not, it doesn't say let it lie fallow or whatever, um, though I'm sure, yes. Right. That's the intention. Yep. We know. Um, But cut her free like the hide from an animal. Uh, Very visceral imagery there, um, to me at least. Here the sound effects. The needy of your people will eat. Um, that is the priority to God, right? Like our first priority in a Sabbath year is probably how am I going to eat, right? right. And God says, guess who still needs to be the priority even when you're not working? Still right. the needy. You it, can't cut them out just because. It's like, well, we would care for you except for it's a Shabbat year. Right. So, right. 
the living beings of the field will eat what remains. So, uh, i.e., you're not allowed to go out there and collect it yourself and say, ha, 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 this part's for me. It's for your animals. Right. Um, yeah. And, and you're then, not going to drive your animals out of the field either. Right. You're not going to eat them all either. Uh, and then <laughs> there's no exemption for, but what about the vineyard? But what about the olive grove? Right. He nails those in too, so... Zero wiggle room, yep. which is clear, and what a blessing. Again, that's a worthwhile theme to return to in this section when it can feel like loft or loft or loft uh, is being stacked up on top of each other. The world that they lived in had kingly proclamations, right, from human leaders that told them what to do, like Code of Hammurabi. But so often, the pantheon was totally fickle. And you had to ask them all the time. Right. Hey, why are you doing that? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what are we supposed to be doing? Hey, there was an eclipse and that was kind of scary. So like, how are you feeling? God, all of God's specificity is a gift to his people to say, you're wondering how to live. Let me tell you. Right. Okay. Verse 12. Six days you shall do your doings on the seventh day. On the seventh day, you will be still that your oxen and your donkey will rest. The son of your female slave and the resident will take breath for their souls. Um, I think it's interesting in here that, uh, again, like you were saying with things being specific, you can't force your servants to labor. You can't force the resident in your midst to keep doing that. Like, hey, this is our thing, but uh, you're not one of us. Right. So if you you can pull up the... One of us. If you're wondering, that's Lion King 2. <laughs> that's that pull. Uh, which is, I mean, an iconic uh, scene. Okay. Um, Some would say it's the scene from the movie. Yes. It's actually really hard for me not to like hum the zebra's coral piece right there. Okay. I'm staying on target. I've got this. Uh, but yeah, that would be the natural thing. Like, look, we're, we'll pay you double or whatever. You can even have a break. But like, we can't cook today. So if you could just do it right. in a person, that would be so great. Which I'm so curious about, you know, in today's application mm-hmm. of you have you have your non-Jewish friend yeah. Who you get to do all the stuff for you because, yeah. you know, you can't look the stuff up on your phone right. and, you know, turn on the light switch or yada, yada, yada. Right. Um, We're giggling because that's been us with our Jewish friends on Shabbat. But the thing is, we're not a female slave or an oxen or a donkey. Um, we were residents, I suppose, but so were they. <laughs> You know, so, I I mean, it's not like we were their employees and they were making us do stuff. No, and I don't mind. I'm just more curious about the conversation. Like, what's their, how did that develop? What's the history of that? I do know, and I was asked to do stuff by lots of different people um, in lots of different contexts. And very often they'd ask us to do it with a tinge of, like, a blush to it. It wasn't like. Hey, get the Gentile over here. It was like, um, could you Google where we're supposed to be going right now? Because I'm lost. Um, so <laughs> maybe they know. And they're, I mean, who does want to be lost wandering around Jerusalem when you could be at a party? So I get right. it. Yeah. Uh, for the take breath for their souls, by the way, um, that's the verb form of the word for soul. 
um, which is connected to breath. So hmm. there it is. Yeah, that's yeah. It's um, some creation language. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse thirteen, teen, verse thirteen, and all that I have said to you, guard it, like the garden. Do not remember the name of other gods. Do not let them be heard from upon your mouth. Okay, I was so ready. Don't eat the fruit. I was, I was so ready to feel like, okay, George. But I love that because we don't live in Eden anymore, right? Eden's poof, gone, guarded by some flaming, whirling sword somewhere, right? But now our garden is the mitzvot. Yeah, the place where we get to have communion and walk with God and actively choose good or evil, life or death, is in walking out the commandments. Right. Yeah. This is our garden. So next time we're like, how are we supposed to? And I mean, as Gentiles, this is a whole conversation, right? Because this is not our covenant. Um, we get to figure out what, how to do this in our context with our freedom. Right. Um, that's a whole other theological conversation. Yeah. But we can still approach doing God's things and God's ways in our lives with that um, mentality of this is my garden. This is the way that I get to connect with God and be with God and luxuriate. Right. That's what Eden means. Luxurious delight. Right. So that should be the way that we approach yeah. living these the, out. If the if the flaming sword is your tongue. Ooh. Guarding the garden and every Ooh. word from your mouth. Okay, James, book of. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's like he was on to something. He was. Uh, and so are you. I love that. Um, this is an interesting spot, by the way. So we finished this. We had this legal section, and right. it's followed up by a Shabbat section. Um, after we talk about not oppressing people, right? Don't oppress your immigrants. Don't oppress the land. Make sure when you Shabbat, you include your animals and your um, employees. Guard this. And that's what do not remember the name of other gods gets tacked to, by the way, right? Like, because it's when we're serving the gods of our culture mm. that we're tempted not to Shabbat right. and we're tempted to oppress other people. Like, well, I have all the things I have for a reason. They don't for a reason, right? Do not let them be heard from upon your mouth. And then we have this little transition into um, celebrations, uh, the holidays, yeah. which it's like, what's the context in which we get to have our holidays? It's when we're taking care right. of the immigrant and the land and our servants, right? Because um, that's what we have throughout the prophets saying, hey, I don't like your festivals. I don't like your celebrations that I told you to do. Um, and why? Because you're not doing the prerequisite. Right. So, I think that's important. Um, three times walking in the year. I love that image. We're doing little loops. Right. Um, and actually, if you're going to be super, super literal, it says three legs. <laughs> okay. Three legs. Uh, Three-legged races are the way. No, I think uh, three times walking in the year you will celebrate and dance to me i'm always just throwing that back in because boy oh boy do we like celebrating um very calmly in our seats and right. not moving and nodding along to our worship music mm, indeed quite quite so very dignified the dancing celebration of the sweet matzah you will guard seven days you will eat sweet matzah as i commanded you eat Good food. Just 
I like that God knows that that's a good part of celebrations. You got to yeah. dance. You got to eat sweet things. Yeah. Yeah. Like some. Uh, babka. Babka. George and I just had a two minute conversation about babka. <laughs> yes. Got to get you some babka. If you go to Israel or if you know, if you have any Israeli friends, ask them if they can make babka yeah. and then invite me over. That's right. It's filled with like Nutella and chocolate, so it's hard to go wrong. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's I've, definitely yes. leavened, and matzo is not leavened, but you Have know, I details. eaten it for a meal before? Yes. Yes. Uh, there was one sad Christmas where we uh, were in Jerusalem. There's it a lot of... It wasn't sad because we had babka. Right, but that was our Christmas, right, because we were away from family and friends, and we went to church in the morning, and then uh, we came back from the old city with a babka and we watched Christmas movies in the basement of this rabbi's house that we lived in. Yep. It was okay. great. <laughs> well, it was something. <laughs> for the appointed time of the month, fresh and green, for in it you came from Mitzrayim. So that word is Aviv, by the way, like Tel Aviv. Okay. Um. There's a conversation about months in Babylon there that I will skim right over. For in it you came from its time, none shall be seen before my face empty. I like that line because so often we've been trained in our different backgrounds, some of us anyway, um, that the holiest thing you can be is empty. That like if you're going to show up before oh, God, yeah. you got to be sad. You got to say, I come here with nothing. I yeah, am nothing. Yeah, I feel like that's like, you know, people get that from like the Beatitudes yeah, and the Psalms. Or I think it's spirit. really a reaction to being mad that people are saying that, like, the happier you are, the more holy you are, because then people feel like they're supposed to pretend and power on through their suffering. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think both those things are going on, but at least in this section, God says, None shall be seen before my face empty. That is not the default mode that he wants for us to be flopping around like sad fish on a dock. It's not. And and this calls you to be active about it, right? Ugh, this yeah. is not a passive, like, boy, I hope there's nobody empty around, right? right? <laughs> it says, no one shall be empty before my face. Right. And sometimes we're like, well, what, I'm supposed to pretend because I feel pretty empty. And right. it's like when a team comes together a sports team comes together before they go on the field or the court together um everybody doesn't stand there and be like well i don't really feel like and i want to be authentic so i'm not going to participate no you all get in a huddle and you do your little like huddle yeah, dance you amp each other up you amp each other up and you scream Blah! or whatever you're supposed to be saying and then you run on the field pumps and that's not hypocrisy that's what you do yeah and it's part of the thing, and it works. Yes. And that doesn't and, mean you're lying to yourself. And this also requires community. Right. Right? You will not be successful in this if... Well, tell that to some old mystics, but it certainly helps if you have community. Well, I think that if you do not have community, how are you going to know if somebody is not empty? Mm, interesting. Yes. And also want to carve out space for people who are suffering and who have real grief and pain we're not saying yeah. that that doesn't exist and get over it um there's always spaces and seasons um and there are rules for the grieving process that we're probably going to run into probably for. um 
and there is uh, modes for that and mechanisms for that. And we don't want to tell anybody to just pull up their bootstraps and keep going. Um, we just don't want that to be the default all the time. That yeah. that makes us holier is how trading around our trauma like right. trading cards, right? Well, that and also uh, to say a little bit more about that, you know, it, it's easy to talk about things as if they're simple. Right. Things are never simple. Right. They're always complicated. Right. There's no one answer for everything. Right. You know, so. The whole um, Tanakh is in context with the rest of Tanakh. We're just dealing with one verse at a time. Yeah. And you got to be in community and, and you got to know each other. Yep. So verse 16, the dancing celebration of the harvest of the chosen of your doings, which you have sown in the field, the dancing celebration of the gathering in the end of the year when you have gathered in your deeds from the field. Now, it's interesting. Rashi describes this as like you have to go out when um, the first of your harvest harvest is starting to grow and you go and you tie strings around all of those first buds. Okay, cool. Um, so that by the time harvest has actually come, you know which, right, ones, you they know which ones they were. Um, which I think <laughs> sounds super tedious to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also taking the Bechor word means chosen, right? Not firstborn. Right. So you can make whatever you want. You're chosen. It's just traditional to have it be the firstborn. But um, that is funny. I like that sometimes when we're talking about holidays, we kind of like whisper about, well, is that holiday really about like something holy or is it secretly like this pagan harvest festival? Um, sure, but here it's a non pagan harvest festival. Right. We get to celebrate the work that we've done. And again, so much in our culture, you're not allowed to celebrate stuff like that and be excited about the work that you've done and have that tension of being like, oh, well, it was all God versus, you know, your deeds, your doings. Um, And so we just charge forward and pull out the next to-do list, right? right? Versus God mandates, hey, all this work you've been doing, all this stuff that we've been doing together, right? God brings the rain. We're putting in the seeds, et cetera. Um, you get to dance and celebrate about that too. Right. And bum, bum, bum. It's a little bit of the energy for me. Anyway, three times in the year, all your males will be seen before the face of the Lord Yahweh. Yes. I, you know, this was so interesting because it's so vague, right? Right. It's not like before. What are you doing? Yeah. Before, right. It says that none shall be before my face empty. Uh Right. Talking about this festival. So three times in the year, all your males will be seen before the face of the Lord. Um, you parading. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing? And, and uh, yeah, what's going on here? I think I, I have two things. So first, it's possible that God is just like gathering everybody in his throne room, right? And it's that vibe. Also, I think it's possible when we read about like God showing his presence to his people, it's a worshipful event because being in God's presence is a transformative thing. And so I think it's possible he's saying three times in the year, you need to be brought before me in order to be transformed and brought back into alignment of who I am and who you are. Um, That would be my guess. Uh, And I'm slightly... Huffy, um, as I want to be, that it's males. Um, but mm. then it makes it a little bit better 
when I think about, again, the wiggle room, that it's not like, if you say all people will be seen before the face of Lord Yahweh, then it's like, okay, everybody has to show up. But then as soon as you say that and you're not specific, it's like, well, but this guy's going to stay home because blah, blah, blah. And this person needs to be with the sheep and this, etc. And when you're specific, it's like all males, are you a male? Check. Go into the line. Right. Uh, I, I kind of like that. Right. Cause bring we have- out your males. <laughs> But we have in Torah, especially in Bereshit, right, in Genesis, we have this history of these men taking the back seat and being passive in their families and not stepping up and saving Dina or whatever it is. And so right. there's a little bit of that of um, take responsibility for yourself, show up. Um, and maybe they brought women with them. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Here's here's what Rashi says. Sure. Um he says, because this section speaks mainly of the sabbatical year, so kind of talking about the zooming out a little bit more on this passage, it was necessary to state that the sequence of the festivals should not be disturbed even in this year of agricultural rest. Okay. So he's saying that three times a year, all your males will appear before the sovereign. Even on sabbatical year, you still have to follow these festivals. Okay. Um, uh, and appear before God. Um you know, so, I, you know, I kind of take that as, okay, I, I believe you, <laughs> you know, um, because, like, I don't know what else to do with this, yeah. um, um, because it's not as specific as I would like it to be. Um, verse 18, you will slaughter upon sour bread the you blood. You will not slaughter. Oh. <laughs> wow, oh <boy>. George. <laughs> Misquoting the law. You will not <laughs> slaughter upon sour bread the blood of my slaughter, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice lodge until morning. Who hasn't had this problem? Am I right? Yeah. I mean, just a daily struggle for me. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I see a loaf of bread and I'm like, you know what? I would love to slaughter something on it. Yeah. But to the Lord. Uh, I think the next verse has to go with it. You will bring the first of the chosen of the dirt into the house of Yahweh, your God. Yes. Um, so God's laying down rules about how gifts to him work. Right. Um, as sour bread, of course, we've talked about sourness and leavenedness. So we're used to seeing that as leavened bread versus matzah, right? Right. Is unleavened. Um and I keep matzah because it feels like cultural erasure to get rid of it. Yeah. One matzah you can it's buy from It's a specific the bread. It's not just any right. bread. Right. Um, it's not tortilla chips. Yep. Um, <laughs> that would be a different vibe. Okay. So chamatz, the picture behind leavened is sour. And I'm passionate about the fact that that's one of the images there. Not that there's mm. not a lovely tradition around getting leaven out of the house and all the reasons for that. But I think linguistically, the word meaning sour Right, when we're talking about dancing celebration and Pesach, right, is where that's a problem. This is you're not supposed to have sourness. All of our skepticism, all of our um, cynicism, all of our cynicism that we normally keep in our back pocket because it makes us feel more safe or it makes us feel more evolved or it makes us feel smarter. Yeah. Whatever reason we're holding on to that, God's like, nope, get it out of the house and you better not bring it into my uh, my sacrifices. We're not allowed to show up to worship God with all of that with us. Um, and then nor shall the fat of my sacrifice lodge until morning. 
I think it's funny that they use the word for a lodge there. It's the word for staying at an inn or a hotel. Okay. Um, so I can only imagine, cue mercy me, I can only imagine that they mean you can't leave the best part of the meat or whatever out and just be like, oh, I'm not just, it's just like staying there so that you can eat it later. You know, like, oh, I'm just going to leave this. Oh, I guess it's going to go bad. I guess somebody should eat it other than God, right? Because that's a problem that we see later with, I think it's Ellie's sons. Eli's right. Sons they're are going in and they're taking, taking the, the best part of the, the meat out. Yep. Right. I'm guessing that's what it's related to. I'm sure Rashi has something more illuminating to say. Yeah. I mean, he, yes, he, he relates it to the, uh, the meat sacrifice at the temple. Um, right. And um, with him there. Yeah, and so he—I mean—he gives a very specific um, um, explanation of you know what it means by left until morning, um, and he says one might think, however, that the meaning is that it shall not remain overnight on the altar, and that the sacrifice would there before become invalid, even though uh, even through the fat remaining overnight on the wood pile of the altar. Scripture, however, later in Leviticus, mm-hmm. is going to say um, this is the law of the burnt offering. It is that which may go up on the fireplace of the altar all night. So it can burn all night through until huh. uh, any time until the morning. Um, so that's kind of what he says about that. It's that- only infringed if it's been placed on the altar by, and it's still there by morning. You haven't lit it. You haven't done anything with it. Huh. You can't just set it there and leave it. Now, not to be contrarian, but it almost sounds to me like you're not supposed to bring sacrifice at all. Because um, it says you will not slaughter upon sour bread space, the blood of my slaughter space, nor shall the fat lodge until morning. You will bring in the first of the chosen of the dirt. It almost sounds to me like he's saying you can bring your produce offerings um, mm. into the house. But there's lots of rules around slaughter if you are going to do that. Um, and then that's followed up by the iconic don't boil a young goat in the milk of his mother, which we usually take, which rightly done, to uh, be a thing about ethics and cruel and unusual punishment and the importance of <laughs> sacred things that we can easily make just rational, you know, like, oh, well, I need to boil it in something and this is right here, so why not? Sure, this all makes sense when there's something like unholy and upsetting about that and god wants to honor that so that's what i've heard it done with that and i think that's totally legitimate but when you put it in context again it kind of feels like rules around um when you're sacrificing during these holidays right yeah i mean if you want to read more about what rashi's talking about you can check out um uh megillah 20b okay yeah or you can he also references uh I believe Mekilta in you. Mekilta de Rabbi Yishmael. You got it. I got it. Uh, so you can check out those resources if you want on your own. Do more digging than I did. Yeah. Uh, come uh, back to us when you've done so. Let <laughs> yeah. us know what's going on here. <laughs> Just do the work yourself. You yeah. Know? Uh, we've got a pivot. We've got another part here. We do. We, we haven't. <laughs> the second half of verse 19 is you will not boil a young goat in the milk of his mother. Um, one could argue that this small portion of a verse has the largest impact on the daily lives of people in Israel. Oh, 
kosher law, right? Uh-huh. You're not. I mean, I don't know. There could be more Levitical instructions about mil- mixing milk and meat than are, um, Rashi quotes three different ones. Okay, yeah. So, so they're not just pulling from them. But, not, uh, but but yes, if you don't know, part of kosher law is no. Um, usually within three hours. Some people do six hours, but um, no dairy. Which, by the way, dairy includes a lot of things, um, including fish uh, and meat within the same time period and partially because of that verse. Okay, but no, we're pivoting to verse 20. It's our part B. Um, God's going to talk about an angel, which most people think is Moses. Oh, really? That's Mm -hmm. interesting. I mean... I, I think it can be Moses. I think, uh, I think that makes more sense in the context if you go with kind of like the messenger uh, translation. Right. You know, because God's sending Moses to be the messenger to Pharaoh in the beginning. Right. Right. Which, if you skip stuff or you're new, the word for angel is the word um, fill, as in fill the earth with birds or whatever, um, and with a little ending on it, with a suffix on it. So an angel is a deputy or an ambassador who's been filled with the words of somebody else, which yeah. is why it they also gets translates messenger. Um, I think they say Moshe because God's telling them very distinctly the ways that you should treat Moshe, which seem I mean, mm. presumably Moshe, um, which seems to be important to God, right? He keeps bringing up, I'm going to do this in the presence of the people so that they'll finally trust you right he's trying pretty hard to accomplish that for Moshe which is very kind of God God cares about um taking care of the well-being of his leaders he's not like yeah they'll hate you and won't listen to you just suffer Moses right it's like no I'm gonna try to help you and I'll tell them that um or you can say no it's not Moshe because before they crossed the Red Sea right they had an angel behind them right sometimes we have uh, actual angels show up, which despite the internet telling us that that's people with lots of wings and eyeballs, that's a different word. When angels show up, they just look like people. Yep. Um, sometimes shiny people, but people. Anyway. Um, yeah, shiny people is kind of more of a New Testament right. edition. Bronzed, bronzed Jesus shows up. Anyway, we are beyond our scope. Getting back to this text, it is past our bedtime. We are going to do this. So he's sending an angel before your face, before the angel was behind them. Now he's before them to bring you to the place which I have prepared. I don't know. Back to the promise. Right. I don't know if we're going to have the pillars or not, if they're going to make a reappearance. I don't know my text well enough to be able to predict whether the pillars are now gone now that we're at Sinai. We're going to have the tabernacle next. So I'm guessing they're gone. Bye bye, pillars. Um, Which is kind of a bummer because it's easier to see giant pillars in the sky than it is to see like a tent being carried around Um, right okay be guarded hear his voice do not be bitter for he will not lift your revolt if we are talking about moshe that feels pretty true like he is not able to carry people's rebellion very well right that is going to be a flaw we will see and god knows it and he puts it out there like yeah no super fascinating (laughs) i love this i love this reading for my name is within him right but if heeding you will heed his voice and do all that I will speak, out, then we have the promise from before. I will be an enemy to your enemies and confine those who confine you. For my angel will walk before your face. He'll bring you to, and then all the people that we've heard before. But we have a new line in here. I will disown them. Yeah, which, pause there, you know, um, end of verse 23. 
I will disown them. Uh, I thought it was fascinating to look at the other translations um, uh, in the context of this. So NRSV, okay. I will blot them out. Sure. Pretty common one, I feel like. NJB, I will exterminate them. Dark. And Robert Alter, I will obliterate them. Oh, man. And I feel like uh, one of the things that I was looking at when I was reading through this is... Um, is that it seems like God is saying, if you follow all of these commandments, I will give you the promised land. I will take care of all of the things in there before you, right? Um, and it's almost a different narrative than what we're going to actually see play out. Well, I think that's really important um, uh, in the story and especially yeah. in the conquest. And I am pretty strongly going to try to make the argument based off this chapter that that is not God's intention. Right. Because what we see him saying here is not what happened. Yeah. And one of the things that it makes me think of is actually David. Okay. Who ends up having a different narrative, right? Because God tells him he's going to make him king, right? He gets anointed, Mm -hmm. right? That is the promise that's given to him. And instead of him going out and waging battle, right? Like Uh the Israelites are about to go and do. Right. He, he waits. He right. says, great, I trust God's timing. I trust God's will in this. Right. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to do anything. Well, that's I'm... also what Abraham and Yitzhak right. do, right? Right. Yaakov is a little more just like focused on trying to survive. So I wouldn't necessarily give him a medal. Right. But Abraham is like, okay, everywhere I walk is ours. Okay, I'm going to start walking. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, it seems like, you know, the, the story of David is re- redeeming this narrative here. That's totally possible. Uh, I want to get into the details of what it yep. says to try to make our case here. So um, in my opinion, the I will obliterate them is a making justification for the conquest. Right. Okay. This word um, has to do with hiding them away so they're not seen anymore. It's kind of the um, the face value translation. Okay. Which it's, I mean... That's pretty different than murder, right? In Genesis 47, it shows up when they're talking uh, and they're saying, we wouldn't hide anything from you, right? So it's not, we wouldn't obliterate anything from you. So I can get a little bit closer to blot because if you're not just thinking like scary KJV language, blotting is really covering over something, you know, or whiting it out or using a paper towel to pick something up so that it's not there anymore, which is a little bit closer to hiding. But if I hear blot them out, that means like destroyed. Right. Um, But there is a underlying thing underneath that. That's a family word. Um, And uh, it reminds me of Isaiah when he says, you're precious to me. Uh, I give myself for you. I honor you and I love you. That section it's fault, which is great for weddings. I think it's Isaiah 43 right after that says, I give many people in exchange for your life. Mm. <laughs> that reminds me of this section. Um, but what he says here, um, is first off making sure you're not going to bow to their gods. You've got to pull, pull down their station stones, right? Um, right. Like there's no quarter given there. Um, and you will serve God, so it's not just tear down and criticize everything, but actually then do what God's calling you to do. Some of us are much better at half of that than the second half. 
Um, then we have this promise from God, which makes um, some of us pretty worried, right? right. <laughs> he will kneel and bless you, uh, your bread and your water. I will turn away sickness from your midst. None shall lose their children or rooted up being fertile in your land. Um, the number of your days I'll fill. That's what God says. Right. Um, it can make us feel like, well, that seems kind of transactional. Or what are we supposed to do when we do have infertility or whatever, right? We don't want to blame people. I totally get that. I, pastorally, that is a quandary um, and something that should be taken with great care and kindness and love and um, not just slap a well the Bible says on it. Um, but also, again, we want to make space for when God says stuff and not skim over it because it makes us uncomfortable. Right. But this is what he says about the people who are going to face the conquest. Right, 27. 27. He says, I will send my fear out before your face, which we definitely see in Judges, if it's been a while, right? They go to like IE or whatever, and people are terrified. That's right. what we hear all the time. Yeah. They've heard about what God has been doing. Everybody's scared. That definitely happens. I will cause a hubbub in all the people within whom you arrive. We also see that happen because they're like, oh, we've heard of what Yahweh has done for them. Yeah. Uh, I will give the back of the neck of all of your enemies to you. That does happen in some miraculous things where they'll like run away or get confused. Classic psychic damage from God. Right. (laughs) I will send leprosy before your face. So this is so interesting to me because he doesn't say I will give the back of the neck of all your enemies to you and then you will murder them in the back. Right. That's not it. It's they will flee before you. Right. You'll see the back of their neck. And then slaughter them? Not necessarily. You will have the back of their neck, and I will send leprosy out. I will drive them out from before your face. And then he says, and I'm not going to do it all at once, which is just wildly clear. Right. Um, He says, I'll scare them. They will have confusion and hubbub, right? They will flee from you, and I will send leprosy. I will drive them out and I won't do it all at once. And at no point in there does it say that they're going to murder everybody. And in my opinion, you can't say, well, God's just focusing on what he's going to do, not what they're going to do, because we just had this big section where he tells them exactly what they're going to do. They're going to tear down the station stone. They're going to tear down the gods. They're going to serve God. Yep. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I'm sure we're going to see more and there'll be more complexity and nuance as we get closer to the actual story about what God tells Joshua or whatever. But initially in Exodus 23, what we have God propose is not conquest. That's not his desire for the people. Instead, he is sending these other people out bit by bit for uh, the land's good, right? Um, For the animals' good. So also, I love that the living beings of field will not become great over you. You know, just gives me images of like massive cows or something. cows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Too Um, many cows. Yeah. Um, And I'll set the borders. You just don't make a covenant with them. Right. One of the things that that was interesting in verse 28, it's where you have, I will send leprosy before your face. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, NRSV is going to use pestilence, which is kind of in line with with what you have here. Both the NJB and RA are going to say hornet. Oh, I will send a hornet. I'm going to send hornets before your face to drive them out. And it's interesting because Rashi utilizes that imagery right. as well. Those words are related because of the experience of leprosy. That's what I figured. Yes. Um, but I thought Rashi, what Rashi had to say was fascinating. He says, this is a kind of insect which wounded their eyes and injected poison into them. Dark. Um, so that they died. 
The Hornets did not cross the Jordan, and the Hittite and the Canaanites, whom Scripture mentions here as being driven out by them, were the inhabitants of the land of Sichon and Og on the east side of the Jordan. It is for this reason that Scripture enumerates here of all the seven nations that Israel fought against when entering Palestine, only these two in Joshua 24, where the text expressly states that the peoples driven out by the Hornets were those these two people, the the two kings of the Amorites. All I'm seeing is the Hunger Games. Yeah. And these like killer bees. Killer bees swarming out. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with that. Uh, I'm Miraculous a little bit. Bees. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like the plagues in a way. Yeah. The only thing that I'm suspicious about there is it's easier to say, well, we are the bees. We are the bees. Mm. Than it is to say we are leprosy, right? be like god is using me as a hornet and that's just obviously a metaphor for me attacking people but if you're gonna say i am leprosy that's a bigger like mm, that feels less likely sure well and and you know you wouldn't want to identify yourself as a leper anyways so right this last line i think is a banger if you serve their gods he doesn't say i'll be jealous he doesn't say you will have failed me in our suzerain covenant that we're setting up, although I think all those things are probably true. It says, surely it will be a noose to you. Yeah. God is always concerned over our well-being, and our well-being and the shalom of the planet and ourselves is what he has in mind, in my opinion, when he is writing Torah. And that includes serving other gods, and it's not that God is a narcissist or insecure (laughs) or an egomaniac it's that if we get in the rhythms and patterns of serving gods with uh faces on them or the cultural gods that exist in our era uh it is a noose to us yeah and he just lays that out yeah well and you know i think in a lot of ways this is the you are not egypt message you're not supposed to be egypt you're not supposed to become egypt right we're leaving that behind stop it yep Rich stuff, challenging stuff. Next week, we're going to have a, uh, a little break from legal code to experience the presence of God with some, uh, with some elderly folks. This, is, this right. is in the text. This isn't like yeah, Georgia's no, We're going to invite a bunch of people <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah, we just know 70 uh, old folks. No, uh, I mean, maybe we do, but that's also what's going to happen in Exodus 24. Never say never, George. Maybe that'll happen to us hiking group and we'll experience scott all right (laughs) the displeasure maybe we will maybe we won't we won't know until next week you can say your closing (laughs) remarks now (laughs) (laughs) so if you have questions uh, ideas, thoughts, chiasms, uh, intertextual connections. You can send those to us at texting us podcast. No. What is it? Texting us at gmail.com. I got it. Yep. I there got it. Is. it. It's text in us at gmail.com. That's right. And we will answer those questions in a mailbox episode to come or discuss your ideas, your thoughts, your treasures. Don't think that. This has been the Texting Us podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope that you will join us again next week for Exodus chapter 24.